This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. First, I'd like to thank one of our sponsors, Credit Intel. Knowing the financial health of retailers is crucial for the success of your retail-related business. That's what Credit Intel is for. Credit Intel analyzes the financial health of hundreds of publicly and privately held retailers in different sectors. With a subscription to Credit Intel, you have access to comprehensive analysis of retailers' financial condition and their expert analytics team. Visit creditintel.com for more information. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. I'm excited to be joined by Rick Kieber. Rick is the CEO of Suntan City. He's a franchisee of Buff City Soaps. He's also a Planet Fitness franchisee. He has his prongs into many different businesses. He's a serial entrepreneur, an innovator. I'm excited for him to share his insights today. Welcome to the show, Rick. Thanks for having me. So, Rick, you own Suntan City, you're the franchisor, you're your CEO of Suntan City of 300 locations. You are a Planet Fitness franchisee. You're a Buff City Soap franchisee. Give us, you know, a little bit about how all this began and a little bit more insights into Rick. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a really fascinating story. You know, I, I grew up on a small farm here in Kentucky and I always joke that farming taught me a couple of things that taught me the, the most um, valuable lessons, uh, you know, working hard as a young kid. Uh, I was the only boy on the farm and had to work hard and and taught me the value of money. I mean, farming is a business. So I grew up around a business. But the most important thing it taught me was I didn't uh, want to be a farmer because it's really impossible work. And it's, you know, 24-7, 365. And that's not a lot of fun. It's hard to go on vacation when you have a herd of sheep or cattle. So I figured I'd better, you know, figure out the business side of things. My dad was a, a bit of an entrepreneur and had some various businesses other than the farm. And, you know, he had moderate success, nothing, uh, nothing crazy successful, but uh, it was, it was a lot of fun growing up, going to work with dad and, and trying to figure things out over time. So you, you decide that farming's not for you and then what? Um, then off to college, I went. I went to Marquette University uh, from '88 to '93. Uh, when I got done there, I came back and and just got back involved with family business, and it grew from there. And you know, it's uh, tanning was was obviously not in, in the cards early on, but uh, my my father had some video rental stores, some you know large video rental stores, and in central Kentucky, and the tanning vendors started showing up at trade shows, saying we've got this perfect. Uh, piece of equipment to help offset seasonality in, in, in video stores. Video stores were historically painfully slow in spring when spring, spring fever hit and everybody wanted to be outside in the yard or in the park. So we started putting tanning beds uh, in the back of video stores. We had people waiting two, three weeks uh, to get into a tanning bed. And and then one day my brother and I were sitting around. And I said, hey, what if we open a tanning salon? We've got people waiting so long to get into the back of video store to tan. There's obviously enough demand. And so we opened our first uh, uh, tanning salon in 1999 called Suntan City because it was so big that uh, it was like a city. And we had 31 rooms, and we are tanning 1,000 people a day the first day we opened. We had no clue what we were doing, we, but we worked really hard. Wow, 1,000 people a day. Holy cow. Yeah. And yeah, that's it was, so cool it was crazy. 300 locations. 
yeah, you know, we went from one. It took me a while to figure it out. I did a lot of networking. Um, if there's one thing I learned early on was, you know, uh, the power of networking. I, I basically had every vendor in the industry connect me with who they thought were the best uh, chain operators. There weren't a lot of them. There were, you know, people with 10 or 20 or 30 locations. I'd call them and say, hey, I'm uh, going to be coming through town. I'm sitting at a round table of uh, canning salon owners to, to share ideas. And would you like to be a part of it? And and I traveled the country for a couple of years, and you know every three four months I would try to put a roundtable together and just sharing ideas, and and you know I was I wasn't trying to reinvent the wheel, I was trying to make a better wheel, and you know certainly had some success doing that. That's fantastic. That's a good jumping off point to go to our section called Clear the Air because we'll get to Planet Fitness and Buff City Soaps later on. But I have three questions for you. Are you ready, Rick? All right, I'm ready. All right. So question one. When is the last time you did something for the first time? A couple months ago, I tried intermittent fasting. I don't know oh, if you tried it, I but it's painful. Guess. It is painful. Not eating for 16 hours a day is not a lot of fun. And uh, not eating till noon is pretty painful. And you're pretty darn hungry by the time noon rolls around. So you're on the 16-hour intermittent fasting. Some people do 12. Some people do 18. You landed on 16. Yeah, sixteen and uh, trying to eat three meals in an eight-hour period. I mean, it was uh, it was a good challenge. I made it a few weeks, but after that, I, you know, I figured out I, I needed some protein a little bit earlier in the day. Understood. Okay. Question two: What is one thing most people agree with, but you do not? You know, th- this is a uh, I get a really interesting answer to this, and it is it's the fact that. You know, I don't know what has happened in America, but, you know, it used to be okay for us all to have an opinion and be okay with this other person and your friends be okay with that opinion and just, just, just your opinion. But now it seems like we're, we're in a place where, you know, it doesn't, you know, we talk about politics, for instance, you know, if you voted for some one candidate, I voted for another, it's, we hate each other and it's no longer, you know, oh, that's, oh, that's cool. Why do you vote for him? Or, and, and it's just, it's kind of a strange phenomenon where, it seems that like I really don't care of who you voted for, or what you believe in socially or politically, and but other people seem to. It seems like the, the universe has gone in a different direction where there's just so much uh, divisiveness between opposite beliefs, and and I, I believe that you know, I mean, one of the great things about America is we're all entitled to our own beliefs and opinions, and whether it's religion, power, politics, or social norms. I hear you. I hear you there. There is definitely a divide. So I hear you there. Hopefully we can all come together soon. So question three, what is one skill you don't possess, but wish you did? I wish I could play golf. I get invited to go to some great golf courses all over the world and I cannot play a lick of golf. Um, my, my theory is that if your dad didn't play golf, you stand no chance. And my dad was not a golfer. Dad was a farmer. <laughs> so yeah. That's an interesting theory. I hadn't heard that theory. If your dad didn't play golf, you don't stand a chance. So it wasn't part of my upbringing either. And I actually just started playing and trying to be serviceable so I can go to those golf courses because I too get invited and I don't want to be the person holding up everything and have to bring (laughs) 300 balls to play one round of golf. Exactly. It's exactly the same way I feel. So if if I get in, plus, you know, as an entrepreneur, I think, you know, I've got a, you know, serious problem with competitiveness. And if I can't win, I I, I have no interest in playing. You're preaching to the choir. And I'm not sure I'm ever going to win that game. So I'm with you. 
They'll tell you it's not all the people who play golf will tell you it's not about that. And I'm like, it's always about winning. <laughs> no, but oh yeah, absolutely. Know. That's why they're betting every hole, right? I mean, you're trying to win money. <laughs> okay. Well, I appreciate that little pit stop down memory lane and you sharing a little bit more about who you are. So I want to go back to your story. You're just business story. So you end up snowballing the Suntan City. It's a concept that works. You're networking all over the country. What made you want to be a franchisee of other brands? Most franchisors don't do that. So you ended up franchising Suntan City. Most people either like, they continue to grow that or they sell it, but you typically don't see a franchisor also being a franchisee of other brands. So how'd that all happen? Yeah, you know, so so I was in Raleigh, North Carolina with one of my Suntan City franchisees who's also one of my closest friends. And we were, we were visiting, we saw a planet fitness, all the flags waving, you know, balloons flying. And we, we, happen, we happened to go in and we just happened to run into the right manager that spilled the beans. And we introduced ourselves, you know, kind of buttered her up a little bit. And she's like, oh, you know, we had 6,000, we have 6,000 members. We just opened, we had a thousand check-ins yesterday on day two. And yeah, she was really excited. And, and I came out of there. I texted one of my buddies that was selling them tanning beds. I said, Greg, can you introduce me to their CEO? I, I think this, you know, they're, they're onto something here. It's a pretty compelling business model. Uh, it's first to market. It's recurring revenue. Things, All things I like. And I, so I texted him. He said, Rick, call me. I call him. And he says, I just bought the rights at Kansas City. He said, you should buy the rights at Louisville, Kentucky. So... And then, he's, then he goes on to say, he's like, Rick, these guys are printing money. They're all driving Ferraris and Lamborghinis, and they don't have a lick of business sense. And guys like you and me would do great with this. So I ended up buying, I ended up uh, getting introduced to the CEO the next week, uh, flew up to New Hampshire where they're based, and ended up buying the rights from uh, a gentleman that owned the rights who was actually happened to be in New Hampshire. And so I bought the rights to Louisville from him a couple weeks later. And how many locations do you have today? I have 40 locations. We had more. We had 26 more. We sold 26 prior to COVID in June of 2019. Uh, they were located in Memphis and Arkansas. We still have 40 units in and around uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And I imagine you have like a separate group of individuals running that than run your suntan. Yeah, stuff, right? yeah. No, we do. You know, one of the one of the great things, you know, we do have a lot of shared services. The one thing we don't share is operations. Everything operations is, is entirely brand focused. Um, but really from anywhere from, you know, we have, we'll have store managers or club managers, we call them, um, district managers, regional managers. We'll have a brand president. You know, everything above that uh, is shared. You know, CMO, COO, myself, the CEO, um, finance, marketing. I mean, every department ships in from on, on all the brands outside of that area. Got it. And then you're also a Buff City Soaps franchisee. Yeah, Buff City Soap is uh, it's a really exciting brand. You might have seen the, the press release last week where we took, uh, or corporate, which we do own a part of, um, took on some money from General Atlantic, a private equity firm up in your neck of the woods. And, uh, and they, you know, we're really excited about that. It, it's a really fast-growing brand. We we're I think we just opened our hundredth location, which was one of my one of my locations in Chesterfield, Missouri, a couple of weeks ago. We opened in one of your centers last week in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is 
really exciting. It's a great market for us. But, uh, you know, the brand has gone from 30 locations to over 100 in the last year. And, and we continue to grow. I think it will go on to 200 later this year. I mean, there's a lot of stores in the pipeline. And, you know, one of the, you know as, a, as an investor in, in the corporate entity, um, one of the things I've been able to do is reach out to my network of, of Buff City franchise or of, of Planet Fitness franchisees, Suntan City franchisees. And here locally, we have a lot of uh, – I have a lot of friends that are in the Papa John's franchise business. So between those three brands, we pretty much have sold out the entire country. Wow. That is totally incredible. And so how many locations do you have of Buff City? I, ha- I have, it's it changes. I, it's around 40 right now. I think it's 39 that I have open and I've got another 25 to open this year. We've been open one to three stores a week. I opened my first store, um, uh, ground up, uh, in May, of uh, last year. So about a year ago and I've opened, you know, 38 or about 35 I acquired and went back and bought a few from existing franchisees, but we've opened up 35 organically since then. And, and we'll probably do somewhere around hundred in the next 12, 18 months. So the company has a hundred, you're 40% of the market share. I am. I own 40% of the market, which is kind of interesting. And, you know, but they've been great partners. I've had some private equity partners um, other than General Atlantic, uh, two groups in Dallas, Guidebook Capital and Crush Capital that put together this limited partnership and, you know, afforded us the ability to to co-invest in the deal with them as a limited partner and then as a franchisee. So it's it's a really exciting brand. Um, you know, saying it first in market might be a bit of a stretch, but it's pretty close. It It is all natural soaps and other products, bath bombs, shower fizzies, um, you name it, body, you know, other lotions and body butters. Uh, it's a really fun brand that has this weird viral component to it. And, you know, I sent you a video of your, your, your center in Fayetteville where, you know, a hundred plus people are lined up opening day. I think the first person got there at 4 a.m. for a 10 a.m. 10 a.m. opening and we do this fun soap giveaway. Uh, first four days we're open, and you know generally we'll get people out there. You know even sooner than that. But it, it's really really fun brand. It's all natural. Everything is made in the store by the employees at your local store. So it, it's really this unique thing. You know where you've got you walk in, it's super fragrant. You've got all kinds of smells. Customers are truly happy, and and they're delighted by all the fragrances they smell and. No customer ever leaves empty-handed. Yeah, I think it's really on trend, right? Because it's naturals, which seems to be synonymous with healthy in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. It's ex- an experiential type of environment. And one of the unique things is you have this customizable feature in the store. I've never even thought about customizable soap. So it's pretty cool. I'm curious, you've gone all in on this one and you're serial entrepreneur. Clearly it's soap. You're making it on site, vertically integrated. I'm sure the margins are pretty good. What is an average unit volume? What is the AUV of one of these projected to do as you guys mature? You know, that that number is moving rapidly. Um, I'm not sure my partners want me to to 
uh, talk about AEVs right now. I'm a private equity guys, but you know, it's moving. AEVs since I've been involved in the last 18 months is up about 80%. We'll continue to grow really, really fast. I mean, we think that the sky's the limit. We know, we know the volumes of uh, our competitors or, or closest competitors. And, you know, we're confident we can close that gap dramatically and quickly. This is the competitor Bath & Body? Yeah, Bath & Body works. Lush are probably the two nearest competitors. And then, you know, from a dollar standpoint, maybe Ulta and Sephora, you know, when you're looking at female spending dollars. You know, Ulta, Sephora, those are large stores compared to yours. So I imagine yeah. it, I think it would be hard to get to their AUV. But oh yeah, we're not going to get to their AUV, but you know, I, I think we can get close. You know, we can get closer to the AUVs of of Lush and Bath and Body. You know, obviously, both of those brands are are you know long uh, cemented into the minds of consumers, and, and both have been around a long time and had great success. And you know, we're really excited about the opportunity. I, I we think we have a really unique product that while we're in the same category. We, we don't necessarily compete. We're, like you said, we're more experiential. I don't think, when you go into uh, one of our competitors and just pick a product off the shelf, it doesn't really have the same experience. You know, we, we have a really unlimited amount of uh, fragrances. I mean, we, we stock anywhere between 50 and 60 different fragrances and you start blending them together and the opportunities are limited on what you can create in, in a, in a book city. Totally. Well, I'm excited. You are our tenant. I'm excited to see the growth of this store. Congratulations on, you know, accelerating this brand. Kudos, you know, to the Buff City team for bringing you on and uh, kudos to you for getting it moving. Oh, thank you. No, it's, been, it's, it's fun. It's going to be a fun ride. And, you know, we've certainly geared up for growth. And, you know, during the height of, of both tanning and fitness, you know, we were opening 50 plus units a year in tanning and, you know, I think one year with, with uh, Planet Fitness, we, we opened almost 20 locations in five different states. So, you know, we're certainly geared up for growth. And, you know, I'm, I'm blessed to have a great team of, of people that can, can accomplish that for us. Well, you have a story in Charleston, West Virginia. I want to get there. But before we do, you have a big business, Rick, and a business that some might think was pretty impacted by the pandemic. Walk us through what that felt like and what it was like navigating those waters. You got a lot of employees and you got a lot of business units that, you know, had really challenging times navigating the waters of a pandemic. Yeah. You know, it was, um, it was a pretty scary time. I mean, I can honestly say I've been, you know, I just turned 50 last year and, you know, I've been in retail a long time growing up in it and, you know, in my early twenties, owning businesses. And it was really the first time I'd faced that level of adversity. And, you know, it, it, quite frankly, it was, it was scary. It was concerning. I probably drank a lot more bourbon than I should have during those few <laughs> weeks of, of late middle, middle of March. But, you know, I think like everyone else, but, you know, it, it was, I mean, it's uncertainty was uh, a bit uh, frightening at times. And, you know, especially in the tanning business, you know, we do, the majority of our revenue in March, April, and May. And, you know, we knew that, hey, we're going to miss an entire season, which is, it would be equivalent of all retail being shut down in the fourth quarter and malls being closed, power centers being closed, all your tenants being gone or, you know, locked up for Christmas and no online ordering. You know, it, it was equivalent of that. We, we went from, you know, some pretty big revenues to zero. And there was nothing we could do. We had no control. 
And no matter how much we argued with the states, as you know, we had private rooms. We're, you know, tried to argue a hundred different ways on why we should be open, and we had no control. So it was scary. And, and the same with the gym business. The gym business, the one fortunate thing was, you know, we sell a lot of our memberships in, in January, February. So we already kind of made it through and, and peaked out those locations. Um, obviously, it hurts being closed and not being able to um, draft recurring members. But, you know, that, that we're a little more comfortable with that business. And in the Buff City business, you know, hey, there's no better time to sell soap than during the pandemic. So, you know, we, we were blessed. But we had just gotten started. We had just acquired a store, so we only had a handful of locations. But they did very, very well during the pandemic. What a, what a good point. I didn't think about what a, what a good time to sell soap during the pandemic. Yeah, that's great. Spot on. That's, that was clearly on trend. If you go back into, you know, March, April, and even May, and you start talking to your team, what was the focus for you guys? All these, you know, business units closed. What was your focus and what was your message to the team? You know, the message was, hey, we're going to get through this. We'll figure it out. There's a lot of smart people in this room. Uh, we unfortunately, you know, at, at the store levels, you know, uh, you know we would laid off pretty much everybody. I mean, thousands of employees, like most. Um, obviously, kept our, our, our senior team together and, and probably 30 or 40 others to, to make sure everything was safe and secure. But... You know, it was, hey, we're going to figure this out. You know, we'll see what, you know, if there's any bailout whatsoever and figure out what's going on and, and figure out a plan. I mean, really, the, the big message was, hey, let's do everything we can to conserve cash. You know, I immediately uh, put my salary on hold. And I'm like, hey, I'm not going to take any money. I'm going to leave here. I don't need the money. Um, it's more important for the company to, to hold on to cash and you know, and pretty much everybody on the executive team did the same thing. And, you know, that's where we were. I mean, it was just a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, we had a lot of moving pieces. And we also have a lot of, we have some restaurants, some just local restaurants that are very successful. And, you know, obviously those were impacted greatly as well. And so, you know, you know, there's just a lot of moving pieces during that time and on all fronts. And a lot of, we spent a lot of time talking and meeting and, and, and try to figure things out. But, you know, here we are today. I think we're strong. We came out of it stronger than ever. Obviously, the soap business has been great. The gym business is almost back. I mean, it's, you know, I think by the end of this month or, or by, you know, middle of July, we'll be back to 2019 numbers. And, you know, tanning business is, is already, or the indoor tanning business is already um, up over 2019. So, you know, we're really excited about the future. I mean, it looks like, you know, everything's back. It, it'll be interesting to see what happens with inflation if, you know, when, when that occurs or, you know, it's going to occur. It's just when is it going to occur and what is the impact? And, you know, if there was any blessing about, you know, all the, all the money that was handed out was, you know, that people went out and spent it, you know, Americans aren't great at saving money. So, you know, our, our retail sales numbers are, are really good right now. So we've been really happy about that. That's great to hear, man. Well, kudos to you. Keep growing, keep grinding through. Not an easy time, but I'm glad you came out the other side and they're back in full force. And we were excited about the future. So we were very fortunate. Terrific. Okay. Let's pivot. You have an interesting story about Buff City, Charleston, West Virginia. Take us there, Rick. Floor is yours. All right. So, so, you know, we, we've obviously done a lot of soap deals this year. I think we've, you know, almost 45 soap deals or 
on, on retail spaces. And, you know, one of the things people keep asking me, Hey, are you, you get in better deals on retail space? And I, I you know, my answer is always the same. I, I don't think we're getting better deals. I, I think maybe there's a few more TI dollars out there in the marketplace. Um, but we're getting better spaces. We're getting spaces that, you know, have never been available before. Uh, some, you know, longstanding tenants have, have finally gone away and maybe, you know, COVID was the final straw, you know, a lot, a lot of apparel shops or, or clothing companies, you know, the Payless Shoes, um, Lane Bryant, Justice, you know, uh, Catherine's, the list goes on. I think in Fayetteville, we, I think we backed up with Catherine's, if I remember correctly. That's right. And so, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're excited about, you know, looking at those. And anyway, we, my team and I were, flew up one morning to um, Charleston, West Virginia. I said, hey, let's go look at space up there. We had engaged a broker and they met us on the ground in Charleston or picked us up at the airport and we started touring locations. And we were driving through Charleston and, and there's a great trade area in South Charleston. Um, the Walmart there is number one of 63 in the state of West Virginia. It's number 48 in the nation in the 99th percentile. Wow. 2.85 million visitors a year at this Walmart. 431 people, 6.6 times is the frequency. So the great Walmart. I mean, it's anytime you see a Walmart with more than 2 million visits, you probably want to be in that trade here. Anyway, we're driving down the street, and and uh, my operator, my brand president, uh, Tim Chafin, out of the corner of his eye, out the corner of his eye, he goes, "Oh, Payless Shoes, who's taking that?" What's and and our broker is like, "Oh, that's already there's a lease out on that." And I said, "Hold on, come out. There's a lease out. Is it signed?" He's like, "No, it's not signed yet." I said, "Okay, call call the call the landowner right now, the shopping center owner. We'll, we'll pay plus ten percent and do a ten year deal if we get that space." Um, and, and the short story is we got the space and, and the moral of the story here is, you know, and and we've seen this multiple times. I saw it at another location where, you know, just because there's paper out there, doesn't mean, even if the lease is in hand, if that ink is not dry, there's an opportunity to get that space that you covet. And, you know, when you look at a trade area like this, where, you know, in this location, we were sharing a wall with the Coles. I mean, not only was a Walmart across the street successful, the Coles is in, in the 95th percentile. The top Coles in the state of West Virginia, and we're able to share a wall with them. And that, that is our shopper. You have a lot of retail do- dollars in this trade area. And this is a location. I, I wouldn't say it's once-in-a-lifetime location, but it's pretty darn close. And it's obviously performed. It opened a couple of weeks ago, and it's performed at a really, really high level uh, that we expected it to. When, when you see a lot of success in a trade area like this, it, it makes a lot of sense to be there, and sometimes it all costs. And you know, I think a lot of times, uh, and hopefully you found this with my team. I'm sure my guys negotiate a little bit harder than I do. Is you know, if we like the space, we're going to take the space. We're not going to haggle too much over it. I mean, I, a lot of people get caught up in you know the details and want to renegotiate over and over and over and over again. And you know, I'm really not. I'm not like that. If I like something, I'm going to buy it or take it and or rent or lease. In this case, lease the space. So. You know, that, that's really, I mean, it's kind of a short story, but, you know, it really is, you know, it's got some, you know, good takeaways, you know, knowing your trade area and then also, you know, don't take no for an answer. Yeah, it's actually a fantastic story. Let me ask you a challenging question, Rick. You make a great point, which is, you know, I think all companies 
try to teach their people that are involved in transactions. There's no deal until there's a deal. And clearly (laughs) that's in your ethos. But what do you think or how do you feel when you're on the other side of that? I don't know who the other potential tenant was. No, it, it happens all the time. It's just, it's just part of it. You know, sometimes you're, you, yeah, it's just, you're going to win some games and you lose some. I mean, I, I don't, I don't like to lose and I rarely lose, but, um, you know, we, we tend to, I mean, land landlords know that we're going to, we're going to move quickly. We're, we're going to be very fair and accommodating in a lot of cases in most or most cases and you know we're going to pay our bills i mean it, it's you know i don't i can't think of a landlord that i ever stiffed or did not pay um, obviously you have to hold back sometimes to get work done or get roofs or HVAC repaired but you know i don't you know if you, if you have a good reputation and great references and you know i've been in retail a long time so i have a really good track record with a lot of great landlords and, you know, a lot of landlords, I mean, a lot of, you know, probably of the, I, I would say of the, you know, 40 plus deals we've done this year, probably half of them were with um, landlords that we, we've done work with in the past. And so they made it really easy. And, and actually this one in Charleston, actually, we had, we had actually done a planet fitness deal in Columbia, Missouri with, with this group. So they knew us and, and liked us. And, and that certainly went a long way to get, getting a deal done. We were Suntan City not you, a franchisee landlord, and we knew you, and you're dead on. You want to move fast. And the Buff City deal that we did move fast. I guess my takeaway was rather than squabble over a couple of bucks, the goal is to get the doors open as fast as possible. And that's one of the things that I realized with you guys is you were moving and trying to get the doors open and the cash register ringing. And that's the end goal, not to have an endless negotiation. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, I mean, people drag on negotiations for three, four, five months, and you know, you you have attorneys. I've got attorneys, and they've got other clients, and things can drag on for a long, long time. And uh, that's not that's no fun. We want to get these things open. We're we're moving at uh, a lightning pace, and we're going to open. And now, certainly, it's you know, COVID has you know slowed things down dramatically. I mean, sure. we used to. I mean, I, I, under normal circumstances, I can get these things open in, you know, two and a half or three months. Right now, everything's taking five months. Yeah. So, I mean, it's certainly slowing down because of COVID and, you know, constraints, you know, from a labor and permitting and everything, everything. So that brings me in. You had to lay off some people. How's the rehiring going? It's a challenge out there. <laughs> oh, it's a little challenging. I never thought I would compete, be competing with the federal government for employees. But here we are today. And, you know, I think that's all coming to an end soon. Hopefully in September, we see that end uh, locally here in Kentucky. Uh, other states, you know, like Indiana, Tennessee, have already ended the madness. So, um, you know, we're seeing people come back to work. I mean, we're still short. I mean, staffed everywhere. Um which is, is kind of interesting. It's a really interesting way to operate your business. You know, you need, you know, three or four employees and you might have one or two if you're lucky. And, you know, it's really challenging, especially restaurants. I think restaurants have a much harder time than than some of the traditional retail. Uh, you can open a, we can, I know, Buff City, we can operate with one or two people if we had to. Uh, we certainly don't want to, um, but it is, is, you know, a restaurant, you just can't do it. One more challenging question. Because you hear this a lot in the business world, not unique to our business. So I want to bring you back to Charleston, West Virginia. Let's say you were the other 
potential prospect. And the landlord said, sorry, I'm going with these guys. And these guys being Buff City, you were on the other side. Is it just business to you? And if there's an opportunity in the future with that person, it's all good? Or do you have a, sh- a long memory and you're going to remember that moment? <laughs> you know, I think that depends on the person. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's business. It's not personal. I mean, they, I'm sure... You know, if they really wanted the space and they were willing to pay up, they probably could have kept the deal. But, you know, I, I don't, there, there could be a long memory, but yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I have a, I have a whole list of long memories of, of people. I'd like to uh, make sure they never share space with me in a, in a shopping center. Okay. I understand. Okay. Well, Rick, that was a great story. I appreciate all the insights about your personal story, navigating the largest adversity you've ever faced. And I want to bring us to the last part of the show. I got three questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. It's called retail wisdom. Question one, what extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? Oh, that's an easy answer. Blockbuster video. I, I, I wish my, my children can experience the, the painstaking process of renting a video and then having to return it. Be kind. Please rewind. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Question two. What is the last item over $20 that you bought in a store? I bought a laser cartridge at Office Depot last week for like $81. And, but, but here's why. It's kind of funny. I tried to order on Amazon because why would you ever go to the store to get that? So to get a cartridge. Amazon, it, they couldn't deliver it for like two weeks. But then I go to the store and you got to take the box up to the counter, which I guess people steal ink cartridges. Well, I'll be damned if the guy didn't give me the wrong color. So now I got to make a second trip back to the store. I still haven't gone back to the store, but now I got to make a second trip back. Uh, Those seem like the easy things that when businesses nail it, they leave a positive impression, but when they mess it up, they leave a real negative one. So yes, absolutely. Okay. Last question, Rick, maybe one day this will happen or maybe we'll end up on the golf course Two bad golfers, but That'll be fun to compete. So maybe you and I'll get a golf date in soon. But let's pretend you and I were shopping at Target and I lost you. What aisle would I find you in? Uh, you're going to find me in the bourbon aisle. I'm a connoisseur of fine bourbon. I have a huge multi-million dollar collection of bourbon that I love. I love drinking great bourbon. So you will find me in the bourbon aisle searching for some random bottle that they might have just put on the shelf. Wow. Multi-million dollar bourbon collection. Are, are you going to a lot of bourbon tastings and are you going all over doing things around bourbon? No, you know, so I, I live in Louisville, Kentucky, which, you know, is the, you know, comparable to, I always compare it to Las Vegas. You know, we all had that one friend that lived in Vegas and you go to Vegas and Hey, I'm coming in town. He's like, Oh, great. You know, I've had three other visitors this week. And that's kind of the way I feel with bourbon. People from all over the world come to Louisville, Kentucky for bourbon. I mean, Kentucky bourbon is Kentucky. And, and so they're coming here multiple times a week from all over the world. So generally people end up at my house because then they know I have some of the best bourbon in, in the universe and they want to drink it. But generally I, I do limit it to pretty much one visit a week because I can't drink bourbon three or four nights and still continue to work. It never goes well if I do that. I understand. I understand. Well, that was a real cool anecdote you left us with. Thank you for sharing. This was terrific. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to doing more deals and hopefully 
we connect offline and as this pandemic unwinds, we meet in person. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.